This is episode number 134 with our guest, Mike Bonadiz. I placed myself purposely into situations that were life and death because I was hitchhiking in extreme areas. And I, I liked being placed into those situations because it was a straight, a straight upside scenario. You have to succeed. It's like the greatest extent of like Hannibal's burn the boats. You have to succeed or you're not here, right? Like you have to um, perform. And I think that ties back to when you're sitting there like, oh, you're in a bad situation. Maintain the mindset of you have to succeed. You will. You will. You'll find a path to do it. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Well, hey there. Thank you for tuning back in, joining us for this episode. I got to tell you, I'm so fascinated with our guest today, Because you know those times in your life when you're about to embark on a project or a new job or something you want to achieve, and you tell yourself, you psych yourself out, and you absolutely tell yourself, there is no way I am going to allow this to fail. I am going all in. Nothing is going to stop me. Well, Our guest today has managed and learned to do that literally by placing himself purposely in situations that were life and death. That's how he has gotten and obtained that skill, that mindset. For example, you're going to hear stories like the time he and a buddy were hitchhiking in extreme areas like the Middle East and woke up after a restful night's sleep under the stars to military, unfriendly shotguns in their faces. Yes, literally. And he does that on purpose to put himself in these extreme situations that were life and death. Why would he do this, you might ask? As he puts it, he loves the scenarios that have a straight upside, meaning you have to succeed or else there's truly no option for the downside When you maintain a mindset of having to succeed, you will find a way. There is so much good to our guest. It's Mike Bonadiz, and you'll hear instantly. He's an extraordinary person, least of which I love this story he tells us. He found his very first job at the age of 16 years old as a carny. You know, that person at a carnival or an amusement park whose job it is to rope you in to play the games and spend your money so you can win that plush toy for your significant other. Well, while he did that for three years, he says being a carny helped him learn invaluable life 
and sales skills because a carny is like, quote, cold calling on steroids. He's taken those critical life skills and successfully applied them to so much of his life and business today. Among other things, he's a rental investor, a property manager, and he's an overall amazing guy. By the way, as you'll hear, this interview took place during the inaugural PodMax event. It's a full-day event created by On Air Brands for entrepreneurs and business people to get their message out in a big way by being interviewed and sitting down as a guest with some of the biggest podcasts in their industry. If this sounds like something you'd like to do to quickly and efficiently get your own message out to the masses through podcasts, apply to be part of the next PodMax event happening soon by visiting podmax.co. Here's my amazing conversation with Mike Bonadiz. Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owners, turn your smartphone into a cash register. PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy way to get paid in store, and they deliver the same security and trust PayPal is known for online, in person, even if you're a cash-only business. With PayPal QR codes, you can accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. There's no additional hardware or software needed. Generate your unique QR code from the PayPal app and display it on your device or print it to display in store. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app. You only need your smartphone. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. We want the best of both worlds. We want a hybrid. A smarter hybrid cloud approach with IBM helps retailers manage supply chains with Watson AI while predicting demands with ease. The world is going hybrid with IBM. Visit ibm.com slash hybrid cloud. Hey there, thanks for tuning back in for our next episode within the PodMax series. I'm here face-to-face with Mike Bonadiz. What's going on, Mike? How's it going, Josh? Glad to be here with you. Are you excited for this PodMax event? Absolutely. Been looking forward to it. It's a lot of good energy here. It's pretty cool, right? You get to float around, sit in on different interviews and and tell your story. Um, I want to jump right into your story around when you were 16 years old. I know that as you put it, the word is carny, right? (laughs) Yes. First, what does that word, what does that word mean? I like the word. It's a funny word. It is. It's got a, uh, let's say a stigma with it too. Um, (laughs) But you used it. So what are we talking about? I did. So my first job ever, ever, um, I was a carny for an amusement park. What a carny is the person who, if you've ever been in an amusement park or carnival, who gets you to play the games and spend the money at the games to win a fluffy animal for your significant other. I love it. And uh, I started off, you know, I ran whack-a-mole, uh, made you climb the ladders, you know, busted, disgusted, can't be trusted, rope them in, get the guys to spend money on their girls um, uh, to, to win different stuffed animals. And uh, did that for three years uh, as a, yeah, at an amusement park. So from 16 to 19, and that's where you said you learned your sales skills tie that in how did uh what did you perfect what did we learn yeah so it's like uh being a carny is like 
cold calling on steroids because you nice really, analogy <laughs> it's it's you're really putting it yourself out there and you're getting people huh, uh, for better or worse to spend money on things they really do not need um, which is little cosmetic items and and to have a little fun uh, 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 playing a, a game so it, we it, it helped me by really perfecting a, a pitch and also my voice and talking my intonation uh, speaking to others um, and really uh, dealing with, you know, let's say some disgruntled customers if they didn't win anything and how to uh, handle that rejection slash behavior when it didn't go well. Um, so that's the kind of traits I brought into the rest of my career moving forward in, in terms of sales. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that I love how you, you connected a seemingly normal, innocent teenage job into a life skill. And I think that gets lost on so many people. You were able to connect how what you were doing at 16 um, is applicable to any career-driven adult. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I still think about how I did some of the pitches back back in the day to get people. Uh, when I'm about to do a big talk or I do training right now for my uh, for a nine-to-five job, like how am I speaking and, bring, and bringing that into – uh, uh, remembering what I did in the past to, to do it in the future. So yeah, absolutely. Looking back on it, what was it a was it an amazing job? You had a blast. <laughs> uh, I I'm, I had a blast sometimes, but it was definitely um, a um, a grindy job. Uh, you know, we weren't paid we weren't paid on commission, and I think I did it because I enjoyed making my numbers. Um, but uh, uh, you did have to deal with a lot of disgruntled customers, so it, it had its pros and cons. But again, at such a, a a good young age for the lessons you were learning, whether you're aware or not, you learned how to take rejection. You learned how to put yourself out there. Absolutely. The temperament you build at that age with doing that kind of job definitely carries on. You don't get that. You know, that is a, a unique situation to be, to learn. Yeah. Uh, at that, at that age. My first job was at McDonald's at 14. I was making $3 and 35 cents an hour, which was the minimum wage at the time, 335. If you were good and you know, they, they bumped you up to 350. That's like what you were working for. But I remember I was 14 and what I learned on the job was that when they put me in drive through, people mistake me on that mic for a girl. <laughs> That's no joke. I would, I would take their order and I'd say anything else and they'd say, no, ma'am. And I'm like, oh boy. Okay. I'm going to go uh, cry in the basement with the sesame seed buns for a while. And that happens. So we all take what we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So today you, what's your deal? You have, uh, you have a couple of jobs, right? Are you an entrepreneur? Yeah. I, I, I struggle with the line of, am I an entrepreneur or am I just a business person? Because I don't think I bring any new ideas to the game. But let's let's talk about the difference. Yeah. What is the difference? In, in my head, and I don't know if this is correct or whatnot. In my head, an entrepreneur really brings a genuine new idea to the game and and um, uh, turns a business out of it. Interesting. You know, I like Creating a new yeah. idea and that it can become a business. While what I do is I take ideas that are not new, rather boring, right? I'm in, I'm a rental uh, investor and I'm a property manager, and I just bring it to an area that might not have either strong property management or just that's a potential rental property. So I'd look at myself almost more of a businessman than you know, a standard businessman versus an entrepreneur um, sometimes. But then I am bringing an idea to an area that didn't have that same idea that exists somewhere else. So I, I struggle with that 
thought in my head sometimes. I think you're doing the work of an entrepreneur, but regardless, it's semantics at this point, whatever yeah. you identify with. Yeah. So you're a property manager, among other things. We'll get to the second uh, career in a minute. Um, what strength of yours led you to that? Or do you just want to make money? Are you a finance guy? Are you a manager? What's the deal there? Yeah, the, the, the story comes back to when I was in a, a nine to five job uh, at the wall. I was somewhat, I was placed into a position where I had to do a lot of wheeling and dealing. I had to bring together um, four uh, departments, the finance department, the product department, the sales guys, and also our end customers. And I was the one kind of putting together the package of a new product listing inside of Home Depot, Walmart, Lowe's. Um, I launched one, one of my babies was DeWalt Max Impact Screw Driving. I launched that product uh, to uh, Home Depot. And what does that mean? That you sold them the yeah, I put product? Together, imagine the, the what it, is the product? What are we yeah, talking? Yeah, it's a it's a screwdriving bit that that puts uh, that doesn't break when you go into stud, and oh. you don't have to flutter the trigger, so you can just drive it it straight into stud. And what did that mean from my per- perspective? The role was. Um, I had to go, what was the product? The product manager would tell me, here's this generic bit that does something. Uh, how can we drive this into the stores to drive in revenue? They knew there was a product gap for the end user, but how did you actually package that up to get it for a retailer? Uh, I'd come up with the pricing uh, and say, hey, I think this is where the product would exist from a pricing perspective. Um, and then here's the programming. This is how we get Home Depot to buy this across all of their stores. Then I package that up and sell it to the pr- sales guy who would directly interface with Home Depot, we would be there from a high-level perspective. They'd be the the uh, the rubber on the road, you know, working, uh, having the relationship with Home Depot. And then at the same time, I had to satisfy the finance guy who had a certain margins that he needed all of our products to to generate when selling. But then also, I had to satisfy Home Depot because they had to make sure they were getting a product that they believed in, that their customers would buy, and was advantageous for them as a retailer. So you were satisfying this massive swath of different interests uh, in this role. And, and, that, and then at the end of the day, you had to generate profitability. See, this is what I love about life and conversations like this, and certainly business, is that when you take a minute to pull the curtain back, that when you're innocently with your family walking the aisles of Home Depot, you don't give thought to how in the world that thing you are now debating to buy or not got on that shelf. And it goes back to someone like you who is sitting, let me see if I got this right. So DeWalt is the is the brand and the manufacturer of right. this drill bit. Yes. And so now you're working for them and they say, Mike, help us uh, figure out how to get this in a packageable, attractive way to the retailers. And with that, you have to come up with um, pricing and packaging and positioning. And then you give it down the line to, like you said, then you have to satisfy the finance guy and uh, the profit people and all that. And then you pass it to the people who then sell it after you make it look all good and fancy and put your take on it. Yeah, absolutely. Think of it as uh, to p- compare it to something other people might understand. Uh, 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 the political whip in uh, in Congress, the guy who gets everybody to vote in the same person. You have to get the product team to do what you know the finance team wants to do, which gets the, you know, the salesperson has to believe in what the product team does. 
neighbors. You're you're corralling all these cats that are running in different directions. So you did this. Yes, and that that's our, what our job was to get everybody to do that, move in one direction. What skill is that, or skills are those? Uh, I guess it's product management or pro, uh, the project management is is a strong way, and I think it's very translatable to what I do now in property management. Uh, but project management, it's. It's the ability to understand other people's needs and then translate that to what other people can provide um, and connecting the two. So um, again, to compare it to something in real estate wise, you, you know, you could probably look at this as partially like syndication on a certain level. Um, but you've got sales, you've got to be able to, you know, project management, and you have to be detail oriented to keep your eye on the ball. Where is it going? What are you ultimately trying to achieve? That's amazing. So what is your, is your nine to five this, you're working for DeWalt? I stopped working for DeWalt uh, about three years ago. Uh, I now work for a nine to five electronics company, uh, industrial electronics. And I do that uh, to a certain extent, but I also, I'm a training manager. So I have a little bit over, I think about 1,500 trainees uh, that I'm training uh, on industrial electronics uh, at any given time. And that's what I have in conjunction to all my other businesses. I love it. And you love a full, exciting, energized schedule in yeah. life? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if my fiance likes it as much as I do, but I definitely wake up at like you know five in the morning and I'm done at like 11 at night each day. It is, it's, it's great. Really? I, I love that. Wait until you have children, yeah, oh, right? As I, they say. I mean, yeah. I, I have two glorious, adoring children, a six-year-old and a four-year-old, but I, I also wake up early. I'm passionate about what I do. So it's possible, but it, it, your, your time, you can imagine, takes on a whole new uh, era there. Um, I, I love I, – I love, you wake up five o'clock? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. I um in 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 my new iteration of life, quote unquote, these days since I've gotten myself out of the darkness, I realize the um the the great need really to wake up early, uh and and what it does and reading about any successful person I wanted to emulate one thing that they, they all get up early and I'm like, well, there's something there. I I could do that. So I started doing it. I get up at six these days, which I understand that there's another level deep. Um, what's it like? Uh, so I'm kind of lucky. I've always been a morning person. So I've always woken up early, which struggle for me is the evenings. My body, as soon as the sun goes down, I get really tired. So that's the ones that I have to kind of trudge through. And I, the way I, 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 I make it through, uh, the times when I, my body needs to kind of, wants to shut down, but I need to still accomplish work is I have a list of, of here are the things that push my business forward. And if I accomplish those things, I'm that much closer to achieving my business goals. So I look at those and, and when times get tough and I get tired, I only go after the items that are going to push my business forward. The, um, and that gets me through some of those hours. Now, waking up in the morning, um, I feel like I can think clear in the morning versus in the evening after I've done a few things. My most productive hours when I really need to, if I have a tedious item that is, uh, uh, let's say a little monotonous, but just need you to grind through it, you do it in the morning. Because you are full of energy, you're ready to kick butt, and you just go through it. So. What's the phrase somebody coined? Eat the frog first, I think is what it's called. Something like that. I've never heard that before, but that sounds awesome. Right. It, it is something <laughs> weird like that in specific, which just means do first thing in the morning, that thing that you know you have to get through. Um, and you bring up a great point that is is you, you have to know your body. You have to know your energy when you're at your best. For years, I was always a night owl. 
because I was, you know, tending to all my vices and being unhealthy and I was alone and I could do what I needed to do without being bothered. And, uh, and then when I started getting myself a little more healthier, I realized that my goodness, I think I'm a morning person. And now I love that. And by nine o'clock, the nine o'clock hour, I'm done. I, I'm, I'm in bed and I could be asleep and I usually am in the nine o'clock hour, which is great. Um, talk to me about this list because what I do is, um, I'm a fan of journaling and listing and working systematically and strategically. Uh, I currently use Brendan Burchard's high performance journal or um, high performance uh, planner is what it's called. And every day, among other things, he has you list out what absolutely must get done today. And then you you evaluate and, and assess accordingly. Is that sort of how you work? So I, the list, the, the way I figure out my objectives is a byproduct of of my former job with DeWalt. We used to meticulously know the numbers um, to the point where I could tell you at any given time where $1,000 of a $125 million portfolio was going um, at, at, at any, in any month. Um, but and that's I, good, right? That's it, It's fantastic because you know your business better than anyone. You know, you know your business like the back of your hand. And, and you need to do, you need that, right? You absolutely do. Especially if you're going to try to start your own, you know, you know, business on, uh, yourself, your own, your own, uh, for, for me, property management. And so how do how does that tie back to the list? Um, I know what drives the dollars and what doesn't drive the dollars. And I prioritize based on what drives dollars in. Um, and I do, obviously, we, we do have things that we care about, like community and, and whatnot. But if I'm looking at prioritizing my actions, I look at what is pushing my P&L forward um, on, on the 30-day basis, 90-day basis, 120, and then the long-term, like, you know, a year outlook. And I also, do, and to... to Let's say um, to bud that up or or to cross check my own work, I do estimations for my business of like, okay, here's where I think the number is going to land um, a month from now, two months from now, three months from now, and I make sure that whatever the biggest p- swings, I focus on those big swings. If that makes sense. Yeah, my one of the pieces of advice my father always gave me, and I see him as the quintessential entrepreneur. He always said, and for years it just it just landed with a thud because I wasn't ready to get it or understand it. But he always said, "Know your numbers," and I didn't know what that meant until I understood what it meant. And really, today I'm still kind of because I'm not really a numbers guy. I'm not really a financial guy, but I'm smart enough and aware enough to know that you got to know your numbers. Absolutely. Yeah. Talk to me about this guy named Alan Klein. <laughs> this man entered into your life, right? Yeah. Alan uh, Klein, I owe, I, I owe a big favor to. He, uh, he worked down the, uh, in the DeWalt with me. He was a few cubes down from me. And he used to hear me wheel and deal on the office, in the office. I love the, the phrase. Yeah, yeah. I love the phrase. Yeah, you that, were... That's what we were doing. We, we were wheelers and dealers. Um, and, uh, he he used to listen to me put together these, these, these contracts and and different programs. And he swung over by my cube and we were friendly with each other. He's like, yo, Bonadies, why don't you you check out a real estate? And I was like, at that time, I was like, ain't that what greaseballs do? Like the guys in the suits that try to sell you something. And, uh, he's like, nah, nah, it's like what you're doing with Home Depot and Lowe's and all that, but you'll make money yourself. I was like, all right, I'll check it out. And I checked it out. And, um... He was a landlord himself. He had a number of units at the time. I looked at how you put together P&Ls and contracts for real estate. And I was like, holy cow, this is the same exact thing I do, but I can make more money for myself. Um, and uh, I was already working 80-hour weeks. So I was like, why don't I just work 80 hours over here? 
Um, so that's kind of how I got into real estate. Me and him are still close. He's a landlord out in the like Scranton area, Wilkesboro. And uh, uh, we, we connect all the time, but he's the reason I got into it. Um, he, uh, he showed me that I was already doing something very similar, but I could, I could be more lucrative for myself versus being at the mercy of a nine to five job that could, you know, tell you, Hey, you're fired at, at any given time or lay off. Hmm. So, so what is it about, uh, as you put it, you have a passion for turning things around. What does that mean? Um, it, the passion for turning things around is like, it, I love a really good project and I love it when I'm given a situation that's not fun to be in. And then I have to turn it into a situation that's fun to be in. And I think that's what rentals and property management are at their core, their turnaround businesses. You usually have a distressed property or something that is uh, problematic for another person and you have to turn it into something that's generating income for yourself. Um, same with property management. A lot of times we get, con- you know, we get contracts for people that maybe mismanage their properties and we have to turn it around into something that's functional and makes income. And I love putting my blood, sweat and tears into something and, and, and it formulating um, into a success story. And I don't really know exactly where I got that from. Um, I can tell you, and this is ingrained in my head. There was a time when I was doing a line review for a, a former employer and it had snowed in Baltimore where I was living at the time. And it was like three feet deep and like you couldn't move the cars anywhere. But I needed to get a, a mock-up, a sample down into an office in uh, down in Walmart's offices. And we drove, me and my, my friend who we were both working on the project together, we drove into work. Nobody was else at the office. We were we literally bled on this project because I sliced my hand doing one of the things. We had to ship it down. We got it down there just within like an hour of when it needed to be. And nobody else was at the office, but we were so proud of ourselves after we won the business because of that mock-up, because of the the time and effort we placed into it. So I think it might be a little bit of a, a pride element of when you, you know, it, it's your hard work that's showing off to somebody else. I, I don't know if that makes sense. But. We're almost going back to you as a 16-year-old Carney, right? Because you would have the instant win or loss based on whether the passing person whacked the mole. Right. I never thought of it that way, but you're totally right. Like it's that gratification of the hard work of roping that person in to play the game and then them playing it. And that that there's a satisfaction with that, um, that I'm probably trying to crave for the rest of my life. So you've dove into something I've never thought of before. (laughs) Imagine that it's a win. That's what I go for. Uh, so now you, it's interesting how you say you like to turn things around in that regard, because, uh, the person listening can certainly apply that in, even in their business, if they're trying to have their product or service reach a certain customer or have something they're doing, uh, that, that may not be landing, um, land to their target audience. Similar thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh. Uh, 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 I like to say when people say, uh, uh, you know, what are some of the traits that you need to be successful? Grit comes to mind and grit and turnaround stories, I think are very similar. You just, you have to, you might be in a bad situation right now, uh, not selling a product or not making it work out and you just have to power through it and figure out how to make it work. And it's very similar. And that's only going to happen by taking the swing as they say in the baseball analogy, which means, um, Call it failure if you want, but you're going to have to put yourself out there, take the swing, mess up, and then just course correct and do it again. That's the only way to success, no? Yeah, fail fast, pivot quickly. 
you know, that, that I've, one of my former managers once had said that. So you have to go for it. You have to try. And uh, uh, if you don't try, you're going to be stuck in this quagmire of, of no result. So Yeah. Uh, and then you'll sit every day justifying that for yourself. Uh, you don't want that gnawing in the back of your head. And that's how I've been trying to live my life uh, more and more often. Of I never want to say, I wish I'd done that. Or this, this, this. I call it the, uh, a quagmire of potential. There's all these potential things that could have happened, but they never did because I never gave it a try. So now I give everything a try. It's amazing. So you have no, because I know in my, what I keep alluding to, my um, past life here in this earth where I was, I was depressed and in a state of fear and really justifying all the reasons I wasn't taking action. Um, so... You can go one or two ways. Like I, I, I love and appreciate what you're bringing to the table here is that you have to take the chance. But me, and I, I imagine somebody listening might be saying, no, but I, I care what people will say, what others will think, how, it, how I'll look, what it might mean that I tried and didn't on that swing hit the ball. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And I think – um, this ties into, uh, you know, uh, we, we spoke before offline about my, I traveled in the Middle East yeah. and I think this ties back to here where you, I placed myself purposely, uh, and, and maybe we can dive into more into situations yes. that were life and death. And, uh, because I was hitchhiking in extreme areas. Uh, and I, I liked being placed into those situations because it was a straight upside situ uh, uh, um, a s straight upside scenario. You have to succeed. It's like the greatest extent of like Hannibal's burn the boats. Uh, you have to succeed or, you know, you're not here, right? Like you have to, you have to um, uh, perform. And I think that ties back to uh, uh, when you're sitting there like, oh, you're in a bad situation. You know, you, you, if, you, if you can, you maintain the mindset of you have to succeed, um, you will. You will. You'll find a path to do it. Well, let's talk about your life in the Middle East. You were um... – your 16 to 19 year old career was as that carny. Yeah. So what happened at 19? Yeah, I went to college. And then in college, wow. uh, it's some small college no one's probably ever heard of. Washington College. It's out in Maryland. Uh, love it. It's only 1,200 people. Um, it was a liberal arts college. Uh, you know, studied there. And during that time, I did study abroad and kind of took it to an extreme. I spent two years uh, studying in Morocco and Turkey. And then I hitchhiked in Iraq, Syria. Um, and a few other places. What uh, year was this? Uh, what well, now? Now I gotta think. It's like I graduated in thirteen, so uh, it was like twelve and eleven. So it was right during the Arab Spring. I remember that very vividly. Oh, so this uh, was somewhat recently. Yes, somewhat recently. Absolutely. Like yeah, you're talking seven, eight years. Wow. Like that. Yeah. So you hitchhiked in Iraq and Syria. Yes, it yeah. was with my good friend James. Uh, we hitchhiked in uh, – uh, we actually – it was the end of our semester at Turkey. We rented a car. We drove it all over Turkey. We got to the border of Iraq, and uh, they wouldn't let, let us take the car across. So we did the reasonable thing, dropped the car off into a gas station and put our thumbs out and just started hitchhiking across into Iraq. We ended up befriending some people. Um, we went across the border, and we continued to hitchhike till we got to Arbil, uh, made friends with, um, you know, just locals, um, got to meet the Grand Mufti of, of uh, Arbil, which is uh, a head religious figure, uh, by accident, and then hitchhiked back. Um, I woke, you know, we, we slept on the grass. We, we didn't have, like, a place to stay. We just kind of 
figured it out. <laughs> well, it's it's no secret that Iraq has somewhat been in the news for the past two decades. Yeah. Um, that that wasn't on your mind. Uh, I so I I, I went out to the. Uh, lived in the Middle East, A, because I was fascinated by the culture, but also because you hear so much of it in the media, right? And you, all these negative things. And I didn't – I wanted to confirm uh, or deny those <laughs> those beliefs, you know, those – those those uh, what I'd seen on the news. And I went out there. And uh, I can definitely say it is nowhere near as bad as the media says. And some of the most friendly human beings were out there. Um, and I wanted to go out there just to see, like, hey, is this real or is this not real? And so I went out there to confirm. And uh, everybody out there was incredibly fr- friendly. Did you tell any family or friends that this is what you're doing? Uh, I told my parents afterwards uh, that I had gone there. Where um, did they think you were? Uh, they knew I was in Turkey, and they knew it. I had I had some extreme ten- uh, tendencies before, so they, I think they had an idea that I was doing something like that. But I didn't tell them until after I got back. Um, hey, you know, I just came back from Syria and Iraq. How's it going? Um, and so, uh, yeah. How long were you there for? Um this Iraq was a few days. Syria, we were only in there a day. The whole trip was, uh, we include hitchhiking, it was like two weeks. But I, I'd done multiple hitchhiking trips throughout. It was sporadic. So if we look at my entire hitchhiking procedure, it's like a month of hitchhiking. It was, I'm, I'm guessing, an incredibly positive experience in retrospect. Oh, even during. I loved Fine. it. I, I it, was, it was meeting people that were genuinely... Um, hospitable uh and i went there wanting to know the culture and i went there w- wanting to die, you know learn more uh about these individuals and they were very receptive um and i, I speak the word in fact actually the best food i've ever had was in syria uh hands down um so uh, i i loved every minute of it um now not to say we didn't run into our own you know problems uh you run into problems all over the world tell me about one of the less than ideal scenarios yeah so um uh, I, I, there was a, this was in Morocco, not in, in either of those, but I was held at knife point in, um, an alleyway, uh, with a knife to the throat guy tried to mug me, um, uh, in, uh, uh, this was in Tetuan. And, um, uh, the guy was, who came off as a friendly person. He wanted to show me the alleyways and I was, stu- I'd been living in Morocco for a while. And I, I don't know, this one particular time I was like, I'm going to believe this guy. And so we started looking over and he was being really friendly. It was actually. just you two. It was just me and him. Wow. Uh, uh, and uh, at the time, I spoke conversational Arabic, um, and, and we, we were shown around. The guy eventually pulls out a knife on me, puts it to my throat. And I had, at the time, I think it was the equivalent of like $20 on me, but I was such a poor college student. I was like, I couldn't lose a single cent. So I was like, I'm not having it. So I actually, when the guy puts the knife to me, I lose, I, I get uh, uh, a little aggressive. I take him and I slam him up against the wall. And he's, he, uh, uh, what? uh, I was like, I couldn't lose money. It was an all in like kind of situation. I was like, look, worst case scenario. And this is going to get a little, sound a little strange. Worst case scenario. I die. I don't have a, you know, based on my own beliefs. I'm like, I won't think back on the situation. Best case scenario. I keep my $20. It's a win-win situation for me. So I just, you know, went after, I, I, I physically went back after him. I actually found out a little bit more about his story after the fact because he starts to cry after I helped, pinned him up against the wall. He tells me he's a little you know, poor, etc. I ended up buying him a, a meal after the fact and uh, we went on our ways. Okay, let me... <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Amazing. Let me break this down a little bit. So you befriended this... Um, he, this was in Morocco? Yeah. He was Moroccan? Yep. You befriend him. He says, hey, I'm going to show you the back alleyways. <laughs> You're like, let's do it. Yes. I'm here to experience life. Yep. 
And on that journey, yeah. he he pulls a knife yep. and and uh, holds you by. Uh, yeah, he grabbed uh, my collar and pretty much held the knife to my neck. Right, and holds the knife there. And you're, uh, as you define it, a poor college student with twenty dollars in your pocket to your name. You say, "I'm not losing this twenty dollars." Yeah. And best case scenario, I hold on to my money. Worst case scenario, I die, but I have a great story in heaven, and yeah, so exactly. be it. Win win. Yeah. So, and this has to be all in a split second. Do you have any fighting or martial arts background? Or you're, yeah. No, no, not at all. You're I, just like I, 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 I'm just like, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna lose. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm, I, I'm just gonna take matters. I, I, cause I will say, I'm a short dude. You, you can't see me if we're on podcast. This guy was reasonable to my size. So I, I was like, you know what? I can I've, take I've got more passion right now. I'll take it. Right. I can, <laughs> I, I see the knife. This is, I'm good. It, it's the element of surprise yeah. because he's not expecting this. It, absolutely. So you just pin him to the wall. The knife falls or whatever. Yeah. It, yeah. Now the knife is no longer in play. Correct. And at this moment, he, he starts crying at this point. What, yeah, did, you, what yeah, did you learn he, about so, it? So he starts crying because he realizes like, you know, it, this isn't a, good. Yeah, this isn't good. And, <laughs> For um, either of us. And, now. I, and I just said, like, why? I asked him, why would you do this? And uh, he's like, you know, he explains like hey, he doesn't have a lot to his name. And he was just literally hoping for more money from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And uh, I was like, look, what do you want? And he wanted a meal. And so I bought him a meal um, afterwards. And that that's kind of. Yeah, you know, oh. it's from there. What did you in that moment and walking away? What did you What did you learn from that situation? Um, about people, about you, about life. Uh, yeah, I I uh, I got to. T- oh, now you're asking questions I maybe didn't even ask myself before. Um, you know, there's a reason behind a lot of people's actions. That's one thing, right? You know, they're not everyone. Even even though they they try to mug you or they're a thug, they might not always be. You know, the bad person. He's in survival mode. He's in survival mode. Equally as much as I was in survival mode when I pinned him up against the wall, right? You know, like, you know, he's got to do what he's got to do to get through. Um, I, uh, maybe I, I lost that whatever le- left of naivete of, <laughs> of uh, just joining a stranger in certain things. I was like, you know, I, I, I probably should be less believing up front and have always a healthy dose of paranoia in me um uh there so there's always there's a good thing there's a negative thing that came out of it um and then uh um yeah i i would say i I really i'd already rationalized like the 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 all or nothing situations with some other like uh uh situations i'd been in previously in my travels so it, it it further tested that metal and i was like well i really believe in my own belief system right like i you know what i was already thinking in my head was what I was going to action on. I don't know if that makes sense. But. What was the uh, the second scenario here? Yeah, um, I had had an AK-47 pulled in my face uh, while I was uh, uh, sleeping in a rock. We had slept on essentially what was a compound, uh, and we didn't realize it. And uh, we were sleeping on the grass, me and my partner. Um, traveling partner, we pulled up this nice patch of grass because we didn't have any money to go stay at a hotel, and we slept. And uh, uh, I'm getting waked up, w- woken up in the morning, and uh, I'm getting nudged awake. And I'm like, James... Why are you waking me up at nine o'clock in the morning? So let me sleep a little and uh, keep getting nudged awake. And I turn around. There's an AK-47 held at my face um, because we had slept in an area we shouldn't have slept in. Um, and that was more of a, a situation where I had to talk my way down. Was this military or just a uh, civilian with the gun? It, it was, uh, I believe, Kurdish uh, military uh, that was the, the individual uh, that was there. He was a great guy, by the way. I, I, we befriended him, too. He shot and showed us our way. But, okay, so when you're realizing it's not James that's nudging you, 
what was the very next dialogue that, that you remember? So you see this and you're like, uh, yes. Like, like, like what happened? Uh, I tried to speak in Arabic. Hey, you know, we're, uh, how's it going? Right. <laughs> That's my default action. Like, yo, hey, what's up? And right, like, what's up? We're like, uh, and I, I asked very, I, I, cause this is kind of my, my go-to way for situations like this. I'm like inquisitively, do anything, did I do anything wrong? And like, he kind of, ex- he, we explained through hand motions and broken language, uh, that we shouldn't have been sleeping there. And uh, uh, we ask for like ways around. We tell them essentially that we're tourists slash you know people just visiting. True, and uh, which is all true. And then he once he knew that he kind of you know showed us uh, all around uh, and kind of showed us uh, where to go and every everything. So it was definitely a high intensity moment, but uh, uh, easily diffused uh, just through a little bit of personal interaction. Wow. So my brand, The Hidden Entrepreneur, is founded on the premise that I spent a lifetime hiding behind fear, using that as an excuse, like we touched upon, to not take the action. Can you tell us a story of a time where you acknowledge that, wow, there's a great deal of fear right here, right now. Uh, I can go one of two ways and you knew to go in the in, in the forward direction. I'll pick up something from this week, uh, that ton of fear, actually the most fear I felt in a long time. Um, I was, uh, we, we had recently bought a triplex in a, a township in New Jersey. A what now? A triplex. It's right. a, a, three a unit duplex, building. but yeah, a three. Yeah, yeah. Three unit, uh, uh, building. And, um, we bought it under the premonition that we could use it a certain way or not premonition, the, the pretense that we could buy something. Uh, we could use it as a residential triplex. Um, come to find out that we couldn't use it that way. And we had to go through a zoning variance. Um, and I'll be honest, I was hearing zoning variants in most states, and, and this is going to be very applicable to New Jersey, um, probably doesn't mean a whole lot. Zoning variance in New Jersey is a very, very, very difficult process. I've got over 160 grand in the building, um, and I have to hope that uh, uh, we can uh, – uh, you know, get the correct zoning variance so we can use the building legally how we are expected to so I can go through with the fi- refinancing of it. And um, – I was scared when I got the call saying, hey, you're, you know, this building needs to be zoned a certain way. You can't use it how you thought it was. We had already purchased the building. We were already renovating it. Um, and I could have kind of like stuck my head, you know, in the ground and like freaked out and just kind of not take, you know, taking it in stride. Um, but I did. I took it in stride. I said, look, we're going to um, uh, we're going to uh, uh, take this full variance and full process. We're going to do it the right way. And I'm using this situation that probably isn't ideal for a lot of investors to befriend uh, individuals inside the city council and whatnot in ways I wouldn't have had access to before. So now I look at it as a way of, of okay, not only am I going to make it through the zoning process, but I'm also going to uh, develop relationships I would have never had before um, that can hopefully benefit them and benefit our own business moving forward. So you know, a lot of intense fear because I had 160 grand tied up into it, and now uh, you know I'm like, you know what? We're going to use it in the right way and and, and build ourselves. Wow. When you write your life story, I am going to uh, buy that book. <laughs> you, got, you got some interesting tales here. And I know we didn't even get into all of them, naturally. I mean, what, what can you do in 35, 40 minutes? Um, t- let's, let's reflect back on everything we've spoken about today. For the listener, what, what is it really that we're saying? Um... I'm saying, in, in, especially in the situation we've spoken, I feel like you should take, um, take the risk. If, if given the opportunity of, hey, you, you're going to grow a lot potentially, but you're going to develop some risks, or you're going to have some risk, or you're not really going to grow at all, you're going to keep the status quo, but you have no risk in your life, I'd say take the risk. Because 
when you grow, you just, you feel this sense of relief that comes out of it. Like, man, I just went through this situation I didn't want to go through. I went through it. I feel better. I feel more confident and um, more inspired to do even more. So bottom line, take the risk. I will leave you with this final question. Mike Bonadiz. Yeah. How would you like to be remembered? Oh, um, I have a joke uh, uh, with my, my inner friend group. I always say it's better to have a reputation rather than no reputation. Um, so I, I like being known for, for being almost, uh, 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 I would like to be known for, for taking, doing the things that other people probably weren't willing to do, um, to either know or become um, something people wanted to be. I don't know if the, the statements make sense, but I'm will, you know, I, I want to do the things that other people won't do. And, 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 and do the jobs nobody else wants. Well, you can already check that off your <laughs> list. Continue to do it. Mike, the man, really cool. Absolutely. Love it. Thanks, thank, Josh. <laughs> thank you, sir, for coming on and opening up and showing up as you did. Really Absolutely. cool to meet you. Absolutely. Likewise, thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.